Hi guys, welcome to yet another episode of our podcast, the SOS Show. I'm your host Suchita, and today we have with us Jehan Se Baldiwala. Uh, she's a therapist, supervisor, and trainer uh, with Umid Child Development Center, and she has aligned herself with narrative ways of working over the past 15 years. Her work at Umid includes consulting with families and children individually and in groups in responding to a range of issues, including anxiety, depression. school-related issues in addition to training and supervising the mental health team at Umeed. Hi, Jahan Zeb. Welcome to the SOS show and uh, thank you for traveling all the way from Burley to the suburbs for our podcast. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Jahan, you work with Umeed and you're the director of mental health. Tell me, how did you get into it? So I work with an organization called Umeed Child Development Center yes. and uh, the center works with children experiencing developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, sort of big pillars of what we do is mm-hmm. looking at mental health mm-hmm. uh, in children as well as in families. Mm-hmm. And um, I think my interest in mental health goes back to sort of my own experiences as a young mm-hmm. person and mm-hmm. as a child mm-hmm. um, with a lot of family members and a lot of lived experience of people who had mental health difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also an awareness that there wasn't um, that much accessible service, mm-hmm. uh, service which was available, you know, at a cost uh, that was affordable service that was available freely and mm-hmm. high quality service mm-hmm. and service that was you know culturally appropriate not models which are just taken from the west and mm-hmm. used in our context mm-hmm. so that's when i met sort of narrative practices which is the approach i practice mm-hmm. as i studied mm-hmm. and uh, i had a real keen interest to bring um some change in the mm-hmm. quality of services that's offered and the way services are offered mm-hmm. in the field of mental health so i think mm-hmm. umeed happened to me in that way that i had a dream and you know the organization also had a dream to support wellness and to support mental health issues in children and sort of that's how we came together i've been with the organization since 2004 mm-hmm. so wow yeah that that's a long time okay. to be with uh, one organization What do you mean by narrative practices? So narrative practices are uh, the approach that we use to provide okay. mental health services. Okay. So it's like a um, I don't want to say it's a school of therapy because we've kind of expanded our understanding to not use the word therapy and to mm-hmm. think about these as ideas and practices. Mm-hmm. because they apply in multiple contexts so it's not mm-hmm. like you know therapy has a particular idea of how it should be mm-hmm. in a closed room with two people sitting across each other mm-hmm. but i think when we use the word practices and ideas it helps us to think about it when we're working with communities for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that may be experiencing something it could be like you know that there's a sudden sort of increase in suicide rates for example mm-hmm. in a particular community mm-hmm. um or you see that there's you know this particular community has a lot of experience of domestic violence mm-hmm. um it helps us to think about working in groups it helps mm-hmm. us to think about using the ideas for supervision with people mm-hmm. uh, who are planning to be therapists so so many different ways that we can use the ideas mm-hmm. and narrative therapy is sort of um in the school of you know family therapy mm-hmm. uh we think about it as a postmodern approach mm-hmm. uh to working with people and mm-hmm. two or three basic ideas mm-hmm. one is that we uh really hold on to the idea that people are not the problem mm-hmm. um and that problems are really located in the context mm-hmm. located in power dynamics and mm-hmm. you know sort of power relations sure. yeah. structural oppression yes. that happens to people yes uh systems that exist and that's yes. where you know problems and ideas that people have of how yes. life should be or yes. you know binary ideas of say gender for example mm. or ideas around sexuality ideas on around 
women should be in the world ideas on mm. how children should be in the world mm. or particular communities mm. so that's where problems lie not so much inside people mm. and uh, the other sort of really big idea we hold on to mm. is that people are really experts of their own life mm-hmm. and that they're always responding to mm. the problems mm. it's just mm. that problems start becoming bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and they take up a lot of space yes and then your own resources start becoming invisible mm-hmm. so how do we use sort of our skills our questions our practices mm-hmm. to make visible for people mm-hmm. that they have resources um you know that they you know they have preferred ways of being they have values mm-hmm. and hopes mm-hmm. and dreams that are important to them mm-hmm. how do we start making those visible for people mm-hmm. and all that they're already doing to mm-hmm. respond to the problem we may have you know some ideas some suggestions mm-hmm. um, but a lot of it is building you know people's own expertise and mm-hmm. even building is the wrong word i think making visible for mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and also linking people together mm-hmm. because i think that's one of the big things problems do mm-hmm. they tend to make people feel very lonely very isolated yeah. Yes. very hopeless mm-hmm. so how do we use you know our ideas of community mm-hmm. and our ideas of linking people mm-hmm. which is something which is culturally familiar to us mm-hmm. we are a context which is so much more collective mm-hmm. so how do we use those to support people mm-hmm. rather than to you know support the problem mm-hmm. so much and also in terms of uh, coming to the children you know mm-hmm. uh, what is it uh, uh, specifically do you work across in terms of the strata so, so socially we, economically mm-hmm. the age group of children so it's across the spectrum in terms of mm-hmm. age group mm-hmm. i would say i've seen kids even as young as 4 yeah and up to 19 or 20 mm-hmm. typically and mm-hmm. you know some of our kids who've been 17 18 maybe even a little longer than that mm-hmm. like maybe to 21 or so but we you know usually would restrict it to somewhere between 4 and 19 or 20 mm-hmm. in terms of the context from which they come mm-hmm. multiple socio economic uh, situations that they live in lot of children from communities which have been marginalized by society mm-hmm. uh, we have lot of partnerships with other ngos who mm-hmm. are working either in the bmc schools so some of our partners are organizations like apnale apnishala mm-hmm. uh, muktangan who are already in the communities mm-hmm. and are sort of you know then some of our practices either have been training their workers or mm-hmm. them making referrals to us mm-hmm. in terms of what we see mm-hmm. what people are responding to or managing mm-hmm. i think it ranges from things like something that's going on in the family mm-hmm. so it could be a death a divorce a move mm-hmm. bullying mm-hmm. school refusal mm-hmm. managing anxiety depression mm-hmm. um you know more than that sometimes where there's mood disorders mm-hmm. or there's uh other you know psychiatric experiences mm-hmm. and also things which are uh, sort of you know that there's domestic violence in the home uh, there's been an experience of sexual abuse so range of issues mm-hmm. that we're responding to there's mm-hmm. no one fix mm-hmm. and also that the organization has a focus on supporting families with developmental disabilities mm-hmm. who are experiencing um you know either autism or learning difficulties attention issues mm-hmm. so a lot of the that mm-hmm. population also mm-hmm. that we're working with absolutely and uh, tell me something uh, jay when it comes to children uh, you know with um, some specific mental health uh, mm-hmm. issues what is that you uh, you often see what is it that has more percentage that comes to you 
hard to put a percentage on yes, it. I think also yes. because it's a function of who we are. Yes. Like as a center, we've gotten known for our work in development yes. disabilities. Yes. Yes. So huge chunk of the yeah. children who come to us are children who are either experiencing autism or attention deficit. Yes. Hyperactivity disorder, learning difficulties. We see a lot of anxiety. Hmm. And if I were to think of you know whatever fifteen sixteen years that I've been practicing. Yeah. Um. that that's something that i've seen steadily increase as mm-hmm. time has gone by that people are mm-hmm. responding much more to anxiety mm-hmm. and it could be a function of you know not having known mm-hmm. but it's also a function of what's going on i think in the world yes um that children are responding to sort of you know there's so much more violence Yes. and exposure to it yes there is so much more uh, political difficulties yes there's so much more of communal sort of oppression going on yes um you know and oppression at so many levels right yeah. that yeah. that i do see an increase in that that mm. referral base for mm. sure mm mm-hmm. when it comes to specific mental health like for mm. example will anxiety come under mental health yes absolutely uh, will all these criteria that you refer to will mm. they come under mental health absolutely mm. absolutely so how do you sort of suppose for example in anxiety for anxiety uh, and depression i think are the two things that we see a lot more a lot more in in the kids yeah. from the marginalized society also from absolutely. the upper strata across the board coming to the marginalized society of children of suppose you come across depression and you come across anxiety what is your approach uh, you know to talking to children vis-a-vis an approach to children coming from slightly more higher strata i don't think the approach would look hmm. different except okay. that maybe you know um you might have to intervene more in the hmm. context mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because like i said the problems are so often located in a context right you yeah. take a young person who's uh, say from a particular community which is marginalized yeah and if they're you know living around a community that is more dominant yeah. then they're already being in some way isolated yeah if the child is not good at school for mm. example mm. or mm. not not good at academics the way it's meant to be in schools the way our system is designed mm-hmm. then that's one more oppression on this young person mm. on top of that suppose a person is experiencing say gender you know that they don't fit into the binary gender mm-hmm. then you know the layers of sort of for the intersectionality mm-hmm. of all the problems coming together mm-hmm. will be you know so much more mm-hmm. uh, for us to think about mm-hmm. and to be aware of mm-hmm. i think that that's the other big thing with therapists that mm-hmm. we really talk about what you're aware of is what you'll address in mm-hmm. the room mm-hmm. if you take it as you know or oh, this person has a disorder mm-hmm. an anxiety mm-hmm. disorder and let me fix them mm-hmm. um then your approach is going to look very different mm-hmm. than if you're exploring that okay there's a problem and there's a person mm-hmm. and let me try and see uh you know how this problem is operating mm-hmm. in this person's life mm-hmm. what what are the different things that are that mm-hmm. the problem is doing and what mm-hmm. are the different things that are supporting the problem mm-hmm. while simultaneously exploring with this person what are you doing to respond to the mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. how are you using your own skills because people always are that's mm. something really from my heart i believe mm. that no matter how big a problem mm. people are doing little little things mm. you know to do something to help themselves always mm. and how mm. do we sort of really uncover those with children it's a lot of use of play mm. a lot of use of art also that we mm. bring in mm. so that it gives them a medium to explore mm. um and really what we call externalizing the problem bringing mm. the problem out mm. taking a look at it mm. and sort of helping people experience a sense of agency or a mm. sense of choice or control mm-hmm. that i will control the problem not the problem mm. control me 
and that can slowly slowly you know start mm. to change how mm. you respond mm. while we are also simultaneously helping people discover what's really important to them mm. and That's from nice, that yeah. space mm. i think managing problems becomes much easier so mm-hmm. it's sort of like if you were thinking about slowly you know yeah. climbing a mountain and then you get a yeah. view yeah. of what's important for mm. my life yeah and is it that you you deal with children in a group or you know you get into an individual both both, both depending mm. on what you know what is possible mm. Mm. groups are really lovely yes because children support each other yeah. um and they share skills mm. right mm-hmm. like if i've discovered something for example you know i've discovered that when i go to school you know mm. as soon as i enter the school this anxiety monster comes mm. Mm. and it sort of envelops me it makes yeah. it difficult for me to uh, get into the classroom mm. but some other kid has a very similar experience and they have mm. discovered that you know before i enter the school it's a great thing if i meet the one person i am close to at the yeah. gate and i yeah. walk in with them mm. then it doesn't seem to have such a strong influence mm. so they might do that another child might have a thing of thinking about a joke or you know Hmm. something funny while they're walking in which you know reduces their anxiety hmm. while they're entering a school a third child may have some other strategy hmm. but when they're all together and hmm. they share hmm. they now have a pool to choose from hmm. so hmm. that's one thing and the other thing is knowing that there yeah. are other people who are experiencing similar things hmm. and that we're in this somewhere together and yes that also makes the experience different when yeah. my life is sort of linked to another person with yeah. a similar experience mm-hmm. absolutely and how do you deal with the parents specifically coming from a marginalized society <laughs> sure how? what i've discovered again is the mm. same thing mm. that parents also have so many hopes for their children yes so many ways of managing mm. that i think just for me the thing of staying genuinely curious mm. about what are people's expertise what mm. are the skills they already have and mm. just if you stay sort of you know really true to that belief mm. that people know mm. what's important to them mm. they know what they're hoping for in life mm. and they know somewhere how you know or they mm. or they yet to discover it but that they will mm. just holding on to that and then using sort of questions to help mm. uh, or using activities or you know using groups to sort of uncover that mm-hmm. um can really open up so much possibility and i think parents again you know to meet them sort of mm. where they are at in terms yeah. of their hopes for their mm, children mm, and mm, mm. um we often do sessions where we have everybody together okay. also which is okay. also great because it gives the family also opportunities yeah. to interact with each yeah. other to yeah. hear what's important to each other to know that we are again all in it together and what kind of work do the parents do i mean what you know mostly they do in terms of professions professions um, yeah it can be a myriad of things but a lot of them are daily wage sort of um range of things so they may be doing things like carpentry or tailoring oh, hmm. um sometimes they don't have work some hmm. of the parents we see yes. sometimes they helpers or anganwadi workers or yeah. you know so many different things i don't think hmm. like i can't think of one hmm. profession where we would see them but mm-hmm. um and then all kinds of parents so hmm. because i like i said it's hmm. you know Umid is sort of a transdisciplinary center, which was really, you know, one of the first few that got set up in this mm. way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we see families across the board. It's not mm. that you know we're only focused on working with people who mm. are from a particular community or a particular. It's care for all, and mm. no matter who walks in through our door, we would mm. try to care for them. Absolutely, that that's lovely. But uh, um, Jayan Zeb did tell me this when you're dealing with parents. that come from communities like carpentry marginalized communities how difficult is it to make them understand you know what you're doing mm. in terms of dealing with the child 
like i said i think if you're willing to meet parents where they're at hmm. and not so it's not about explaining it to them in jargon mm-hmm. but it's really about connecting with them mm-hmm. with what's important for them like mm-hmm. what are they hoping for their children mm-hmm. um do they do they feel sort of all the dreams for you know for for a child's future mm-hmm. what do they think in terms of so i think again that's the other thing right as professionals we're constantly performing hope no yes <laughs> <laughs> and that's really important yes that's uh, i mean again that's a personal belief i really yes. believe that you know if people can hold on to hope yes that in itself is a radical sort of mm. response to mm. problems yes and uh, how do we work yeah in our you know mm. together to mm. keep holding on to that yes um but that also obviously parents need to see you know that something is happening with the problem mm. right so mm-hmm. also you know quickly prioritizing that mm-hmm. finding ways mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. explain the problem to them in a way that makes sense to them um finding ways to like i said unveil the operations in the context mm-hmm. which also contributing to mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. and in so many ways causing it mm-hmm. and seeing where we can together change so is there something we can do in the school system is there something we can do at home which will you know mm-hmm. help out but slowly slowly i mm-hmm. think the first step would be really getting them as allies yeah you know to work together uh, uh, what about the the monies and the fees and so i have the privilege of working at a not for profit yes. it's a sliding yeah. scale people yes. can pay 5 rupees yes, or lovely. 10 rupees or yeah. up to you know mm. a fee cost that is uh, you know what any private practitioner would charge yes and so people pay um, we mm. have a concession sort of yes system hmm. but even if that's not comfortable people can pay even less or nothing hmm. also because care in mental health as well as with developmental disabilities is um, a much longer you know it's not like you can come for three sessions and find that magic hmm. uh, spell or that magic pill and things will be gone hmm. it's you know i'm talking about systemic issues yeah. so many things that take time yeah. and so we really want people to be able to access service hmm. and be able to continue with us on that journey mm-hmm. and many a times it is journeys like it i've is, seen yeah, kids when we started you know maybe not in the same intensity as mm. you might see them when you first start but mm. over you know many years and yeah. or coming back at different points mm. when things mm. are mm. different mm. or changing yeah i'm very curious to know in terms of an anecdote where you were with a child uh-huh. and a parent and you know if there's something you would like to um it's somebody who i saw over a long period of time yes and uh, maybe she came to me as a younger mm-hmm. she might have been 12 when i mm-hmm. first saw her mm-hmm. and uh, had come with her mom and dad mm-hmm. was experiencing a lot of social anxiety mm-hmm. so unable to go to school yeah unable to interact with friends mm-hmm. but was also hearing voices so was, is that a case of schizophrenia so we she didn't end up getting a diagnosis of schizophrenia okay. it was more like a mood uh, she has a mood disorder so okay bipolar disorder okay but uh, at that time there was a lot going on in the family that we huh. uncovered she had yeah. her mom was experiencing cancer and mm. you know was really at the stage where she may not stay much longer mm. in her physical oh. form and so and this young girl had not been told about this so okay. she had been making you know mm-hmm. her obviously she knew what was mm-hmm. going on but they had mm-hmm. kept it from her mm-hmm. and so there was a lot going on in the family was she from like a um, social what social uh, segment so she would have been a middle class okay. family okay and her mom obviously you know went on to pass away so we did a lot of work around uh, her managing mm. that but also her illness itself and i think she's an amazing dad really amazing mm. very very supportive i mean he's done so much for this young girl you know being alone in terms yes. of uh, making things possible for her yes. she's an artist also mm. so a lot of dreams around that and 
slowly over a period of time she's been able to paint a lot of her experiences mm. um has had a couple of exhibitions lovely um and so so how long did you work on her so like, she's 19 now oh. i see her very occasionally now mostly okay. just to say hello but yes. and she does really well for wow. herself wow. in terms of figuring out you know when she's low when she's because you know obviously the fluctuations in mood or whatever yes. doesn't change but yes. um when did you start working with her how old was she she would have been 12 at that mm. time so i saw her intensely for a period of time mm. and then you know now it's more like when she wants to come kind mm. of a thing again is doing really well lives by herself mm. um now and she's she may she must be about 20 now and she um you know is able to sort of do some work and does really well for herself mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. loves to paint and pursue mm-hmm. her hobbies mm-hmm. so. and what about what about her father did you guys uh, also have to sort of so we worked a lot mm-hmm. with her dad also yes, in terms yeah. of him understanding what was you know mm-hmm. happening with this young girl but like i said he's been amazing through the journey in terms of you know making things possible for her mm-hmm. but also this was a young girl who chose to stop going to school mm-hmm. because she felt like the school system was really in so many ways for, forcing her to fix into a box mm. and sort of you know reining her art in reining her spirit in so to be able to cross that journey also of the child leaving school you know in the formal way she ended up finishing her 10th grade through mm. NIOS mm-hmm. so you know a lot of other things also that mm-hmm. we did with her absolutely is it any way easier in terms of working with or different in terms of working with you know kids who are from a good sure. um, social strata who have more money like yes. i think this young person had access to you know okay. obviously you know day to day money was not an issue and therefore so many things mm. you know financially become possible mm-hmm. when a parent is struggling Mm. sort of to put food on the table. Yes. Things become much harder mm-hmm. in that sense. Obviously, mm-hmm. and I think that's a systemic issue that some people have to really struggle for mm. food or yes. you know. Yeah. And so what do they do in those situations? But you know, even there I feel like, you know, roping in other family members and mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. you see parents doing such amazing things mm-hmm. for their children. Absolutely. I mean, especially because we work a lot with developmental disability also mm-hmm. it's such a long journey mm-hmm. you know from where mm-hmm. they come for the first diagnosis to where children might be really uh, much mm-hmm. more independent and mm-hmm. you know you see parents who are just it's you know something which is so you learn so much from parents about just this day to day jugaad of life it's and it's a very emotional yeah. i think journey for everyone who's involved in this and i i think you know i always say hopeful and inspiring because mm-hmm. it's people just are they continue to blow your mind mm. like for some people just you know living through the day is yes. so hard but in oh, spite yes. of that yes. um they're doing everything possible for mm. their kid and also being able to bring them for therapies and also being able to work and look after the family and look after other children and yes uh, and hopefully themselves and and, and there is no specific duration that you work on a specific child it can vary it can be anything i've seen you know young people for one session mm-hmm. where okay. they've come they've been able to speak about the problem they've yeah. got a sense of control yeah. and moved out yeah and others who you see for years on end sometimes mm. you know but mm. usually it's you know more intense mm. for like the first six months or so mm. and then mm-hmm. you know people tend mm. to reach out to you more when there's a problem or mm. suddenly something new has happened mm. and not you know they may come for two three sessions and then again mm-hmm. So of course as you said you have your centers where the kids mm. come to is there also a, like a tie up with the schools where you go to uh, so we well? have a school mm. outreach team which mm. specifically Umeed has a school outreach mm. team and what they do is uh, what you just said they move into the schools mm. both for children who are coming to us mm. so where there's a particular young person who needs 
um, say certain accommodations in the classroom mm. uh, or concessions maybe or mm. uh, you know maybe needs to give exams orally not written mm. needs a particular kind of seating mm. or you know sometimes the classroom is so inaccessible because there's a big flight of stairs this child is on a wheelchair mm. you know who's going to get them up and down every day so mm. if there's some intervention needed in terms of relocating to a ground floor classroom mm-hmm. or um so that would be one way to intervene but we also have liaison with schools where we're helping to train teachers mm-hmm. um we're helping to have these conversations around what it means to mm-hmm. include children mm-hmm. um and um you know that it's their right mm-hmm. it's not that we're including them to come join us but that is the basic right of every child mm-hmm. and how do we become more aware that you know as able bodied people it's mm-hmm. our responsibility mm-hmm. it's not them entering our world it's a yes. world where everybody should exist yeah. in yeah. ways that are comfortable for them yeah yeah tell me something jehan has anyone come out of it at the moment since you've been working on it since like 15 16 years you told me about the story of this girl she is independent but of course she must be having her bouts where she must be coming back anything related to in terms of the corporate world where they're doing mm. a job so many of our young people hmm. you know who have gone on to study uh, you know or go abroad or do mbas or you know so many things that they dream of they are stable and they're yes, on their own absolutely. feet absolutely and doing hmm. you know doing well in fact hmm. um another of the people who i work with uh, was yesterday she was sharing with me somebody one of her really old hmm. uh young people who she used hmm. to work with was hmm. reaching out to her and saying i want to come and meet you or something mm-hmm. for a while mm-hmm. um and then she was finally able to meet them and they actually wanted to come and say they'd just gotten married Mm. So super excited. So we have lots of stories like that mm. of children coming that's, back. That's awesome. How uh, tell me uh, Jade, it's you know Umid is a not for profit, you know. How do how does Umid support itself? So a lot of our work is, you know, one entire piece of the work is fundraising. Yes. And uh, we get a lot of grants from CSR. Yes. Um we have the Sipla Foundation who supports us, mm. the Bajaj Foundation, mm. like yes. from their CSR. Yeah. Um lot of individual donors so families mm. who uh, who have more access to money but who've also appreciated the quality of service who will donate mm. Uh, mm. so there's you know a that lot of the grants been. and mm. that's mm. one whole mm. separate wing of work <laughs> awesome how do you support yourself in terms of your challenges of you know day to day dealing with you know so many other challenges of the kids how do you keep yourself balanced and sane so i think one of the great things um that we have at me then mm. uh is the team i think mm. for all of us to be in this work together mm-hmm. and to be in solidarity because sometimes mm. there are no solutions and there are days where i think um you know you feel like why i think also the injustice of it mm. you know sometimes when you see children experiencing oppression because they prefer to be a particular mm. sexuality or mm. they are from a particular community mm. Mm. or religiously mm. and it's such an unjust thing what they're experiencing mm. and then they're experiencing an anxiety disorder or a depression or a schizophrenia mm. but who's going to sort of give therapy mm. to the mm. context and to fix all these things that are going on mm. um and i think you know sometimes to just cry together or be mm. together or be able to have these conversations with each other mm-hmm. so just that team of solidarity and you know all of us really mm-hmm. being there for each other i mm-hmm. think is something that's mm-hmm. that really helps mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and supports mm-hmm. you know do you practice any sort of uh, any sort of spiritual thing to keep yourself more stronger or any kind of group anything else or yoga or anything i read a lot and i think that gives me a lot of space uh, mm-hmm. to sort of you know mm-hmm. 
does that make you more empathetic towards the world more compassionate I think so I think I love mm. st- like I think even narrative therapy works a lot on the metaphor of story mm. and so I love stories yes and um, I've learned to believe with young people a lot in imagination and magic yeah so I think accessing those spaces also yeah uh, is really helpful yeah. when you know when you feel like okay you know there is that whole space of imagination yeah. but that from that space many things become possible in the real world mm-hmm. also yeah and i think just being with each other for me that's a big thing like just mm. having you know mm. like minded people who mm. you can share with and what is the understanding of mental health in our country jahan um, <laughs> i think it really varies i think there's lo- long way to go mm-hmm. in terms of you know people being accepted for who they are Mm. Uh, and that there are diverse ways of being and all of those are okay mm. i mean i think this whole idea that somebody has an illness only is also something that you know mm. um why do they have an illness like you know what is it that's that the world is doing to them which is sort yeah. of you know making them respond in that way yeah. is also something to think about mm. um and but i think a lot of people would prefer to label and medicate and mm. fix the problem because mm. let's not call attention to all else that's going on. Yeah. So that typically is the understanding, right? You take them to a doctor mm. or an expert, you fix this mm. person and mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's it. There's nothing more that's required mm-hmm. in terms of any changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty much there is a, but I also feel that awareness, I think in the last 15, 16 years that we've been working, there is a lot more awareness. There's mm. a lot more people accessing service. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more people talking about it. Mm-hmm. schools are much more aware hmm. pediatricians are so much more aware so of course there is change also mm-hmm. that you see mm-hmm. absolutely and what about uh, having you know these kind of centers in uh, smaller towns and in villages so i think um one of our sort of ways of working because i think when we started off we also had this hope that we would have multiple centers and i think over a period of time we realized that it's going you know there are no trained professionals in so many places it's so hard and do we even need trained professionals do we need people who from the heart can work mm. and i think we've been moving a lot into the space of training so mm-hmm. some of our work has been going into um you know with azim premzi foundation actually we've moved into some of the uh sort of other places in gujarat maharashtra mm. uh we worked a little bit on arangabad we worked a little bit we working in dadra nagar haveli where we mm. have a community mental health we've also been doing some training in kolkata and hyderabad so lots of different places but i think mm. our approach has been uh working with local people mm. also because they understand their context best mm. like me from bombay i understand my city and you know mm. how much would i understand what's going on locally and mm. how you know things are working hmm. in terms of the local dynamic and so yeah. i think it's been more of using or building capacity in mm. uh in the context itself rather mm. than us going in as experts again and telling mm. people what to do mm-hmm. um so i think yeah that's been that's our experience in absolutely. that space Jay, you were telling me about this conference in February, which you guys are doing. What is it about? So we are really, really excited. Mm. We're on the first and second of February. Yes. Uh, we have uh, for the second time. So we've had a smaller conference in 2016, huh. and um, this year we have. an international conference it's called weaving our voices mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be practitioners from all over the world actually coming in mm-hmm. who practice narrative uh, well, i guess i would love to be part of that conference you must <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so it's here at rangsharda okay. and you can check us out at yes. weavingourvoices.com yes but uh, what's really special is mm-hmm. that there's going to be a lot of 
speakers from all over India mm. coming to speak about how they're using narrative ideas, mm. just like you said in their local context. Yes. So very very exciting. <laughs> awesome, Jahanzeb. Thank you so much uh, for you. taking our time and coming uh, and being part of our podcast. And I hope our listeners are going to immensely enjoy the episode and also it's going to tremendously add value to their lives. Thank you for having me. Really, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast the Wesser show. I hope uh, we are adding some value to your life. If you would like to reach out to us, you can reach out to us uh, through our website epilog media and you can also connect to us through all the podcasting platforms including the social networking sites that we are on which includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Also do not forget to rate us on Apple Podcast and you can also subscribe to us through all the podcasting platforms. I'm your host Sujitha and I'll see you guys next week.